Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. Today on Not Sam Wrestling, Edge's tour around the WWE world. It's time to put all the debates to bed and have the final conversation about the ultimate Royal Rumble controversy and a real conversation about what exactly new kayfabe is and who is excelling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome. Episode 329. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Welcome to everybody who's listening along. I hope everybody had a great Super Sunday, whatever that means. If if you're super into sporting matches and football, I hope it was everything you could have possibly dreamed of. If it just made you think of the wonderful time. I mean, I remember as a kid being so excited about halftime heat. And, and this is a lot of people, when the Super Bowl comes up, and you think about how it relates to wrestling and WWE and everything. Halftime Heat is something a lot of people bring up now. And I think that the Halftime Heat show is on the WWE Network. And I'm not talking about the recent one that they did on the WWE Network where it was the, you know, it took place in the PC before wrestling was actually taking place in the PC. And it was the big NXT Halftime Heat show. I'm talking about the original Halftime Heat show that aired on MTV. It was a huge deal, a huge deal at the time. It's only been done once because it's very difficult to pull off. But basically what happened was at the time, WWE was running Sunday Night Heat on MTV. And for people who don't remember, I mean, Halftime Heat, Heat itself, Sunday Night Heat was a big show. Like it was not on, like you know, jacked metal and Velocity, like those were the syndicated shows that you would catch. Like in New York, we would catch them at like one o'clock in the morning on Channel 55 or something like that. But Sunday Night Heat oftentimes gets confused for those shows because by the end, Sunday Night Heat was kind of forgotten about. But Sunday Night Heat was not the sort of superstars or main event of its day. Sunday Night Heat was a real third show. Sunday nights, 7 p.m. Eastern on MTV. That's a real time slot. That's a that's a that's a real show. And if you go back and you look on the network at old Sunday Night Heat episodes, you're seeing Undertaker and Kane on there regularly. You're seeing all this stuff happening on Heat to the point that you would turn on Raw and be like, "Oh my God, did you see what happened on Heat last night?" And forget about it. The Sunday Night Heat shows that were on before the pay per views. That was a big deal. I mean, I know that in the Sam Roberts era, pay-per-view kickoff shows have become can't-miss opportunities. I mean, not as much on the main roster anymore with, you know, certain other people, call them the B-Squad, taking over. But in those Renee Young, Booker T, Sam Roberts days, oh my God, you couldn't miss those shows. Now it's more the NXT pre-shows that are can't-miss. The old Sam Roberts, Wade Barrett, one-two punch, which will, I actually, I don't 
I know I'll be back. I'll be there uh, this coming Sunday, February 14th, in the Capitol Wrestling Center for TakeOver Vengeance Day, which I can't wait. Maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit. But Sunday Night Heat pre-shows were huge. It almost became, you know, back when pay-per-views were only three hours long, the golden days, I call them, it almost became like a four-hour pay-per-view because Heat would be so good. I mean, imagine if the pre-show for every pay-per-view was also airing on MTV or whatever, you know, a big cable channel of the current day. I don't know if you would still air it on MTV. It'd be a little weird nowadays. But point is, it was a huge show. So the way they pulled it off was they said Sunday night's the big game. Heat's going to be on at 7 p.m. And so instead of trying to compete with the NFL, they said, look, they talked to MTV. Wrestling was huge at the time. This was, I think, 99. Yeah, it had to be 99. It was Rock versus Mankind, I think, coming right off the Royal Rumble. So it would have been 99. Uh, and, you know, WWE was as hot as anything could be. It was WWE and South Park. Those were the two. If you watch that movie Beyond the Mat, which I've mentioned once or twice, we are neck and neck in retail with South Park right now. The one and two. Oh, this is great, guys. This is fantastic. Vince is so happy about it. WWE was a, a huge, tremendous pop culture force. So when they said to MTV, just let us stretch, MTV was like, you can have as much time as you want. We'll put Beavis and Butthead on after, whatever. So basically, because the halftime show doesn't start at a specific time, it starts whenever the, you know, second quarter ends. They said as soon as halftime starts, the empty arena match between The Rock and Mankind will start. And that's how they got away with not being live, too. As soon as halftime starts, the empty arena match will start. And so during halftime of the big game, you can switch over to MTV and you can watch The Rock versus Mankind. It ends up being like a pretty historic match and a pretty great uh, uh post, goalpost of where the WWE was at that time. Another great Super Bowl-related timestamp of how big WWE was at the time is, I think, and this, this is just as important, if not more important than halftime heat, is the WWE Super Bowl commercial. The WWE Super Bowl commercial, which came on, you know, I think people still try to make a big deal out of Super Bowl commercials, but it's just not what it used to be. All the Super Bowl commercials are on YouTube anyway. Like, you're not, it's not, it, it used to be an event. Like, it used to be companies would save up all their dollars in their piggy banks so they could spend all of it on a 30-second Super Bowl commercial. And then it would be, all, the next day, all the shows would be all about, what did you think was the best commercial? What did you think was the best commercial? Now, I mean, people, I guess, still have those conversations, but it's almost just because it's tradition. You know, they're used to it. Like, you can have the conversation two days before. You can have a week before the Super Bowl. They're already all on YouTube. It doesn't matter. Um, but, like, you know, 93, the kids, or, or, yeah, I think it was 93, 94, the kids sucking his face into a Pepsi bottle. People lost their minds for it. They were like, I've never seen anything this creative in my life. So when WWE was like, we're going to sink a whole bunch of money and we're going to have a 30-second commercial on the Super Bowl, and it's not going to be for WrestleMania, and it's not going to be for Monday Night Raw, and it's not going to be for you know, the Austin 316 t-shirt. It's just going to be for the brand. It's just going to be to advertise the fact that, that this is what WWE is today. And it was like, you know, just, they were going through Titan Towers and The Undertaker and Sable and Austin and Rock and 
Vince at the end going, get it? And I was like, yeah, I get it, Vince. I was so happy as a teenage wrestling fan watching WWE have a commercial on the Super Bowl and watching my brand, my hobby, my thing. Wrestling was my thing. It was always my thing. And my dad would be like, come on, we're watching the Super Bowl. And I'm like, bro, this is not as good as WrestleMania. You keep saying that WrestleMania is like WWE's Super Bowl. Like, I think the Super Bowl is trying to be like the NFL's WrestleMania because the Super Bowl is nowhere near as good as, as WrestleMania. The, the pageantry, the spectacle, the immovable object versus the irresistible force. Strike that. Reverse it. Football doesn't have any of that. But when I saw that commercial air on, on the Super Bowl, I was like, in your face, Dad. In your face. We're talking about my thing now. My thing has invaded everywhere. And that's how big it was. That's how big it was. So there are, when the Super Bowl comes around, there are, you know, for us wrestling geeks, wrestling psychos that have to relate everything back to wrestling, you can. It's there. I mean, you could go as far as to relate it to the Raw Bowl. I think that was, is either 94 or 95. Go back. It's an episode of Monday Night Raw. They make the ring canvas green. And they, it's like a eight-man tag. Heels versus baby faces. And they're wearing football jerseys. And you're like, yep, wasn't always that cool. <laughs> Raw Bowl wasn't quite as exciting. Raw Bowl wasn't advertising on the Super Bowl. Let's just put it that way. But it does bring me into talking about the current era. What era are we in? Are we in the type of era that has a commercial on the Super Bowl, or are we in a Raw Bowl type of era? And, and, and what is wrestling anymore? You know, I think that that's, that's part of why, while it's still, I mean, it got so big in the Attitude Era that it never really, I mean, it's still a pop culture force. I mean, everybody still has brand awareness of WWE. Everybody knows John Cena. Everybody knows Roman Reigns. You know what I mean? Like, there are forces within it. You know, I don't I don't think that it is the conversation piece that it was in the late 90s going into the early 2000s, but it's still got pretty high visibility. You know, Nick Khan, the president of WWE, uh, he was on the uh, conference call, the investors conference call this week that I listened to some of it. I think uh, Fightful, Sean Ross Sapp and Fightful tweeted out a link, and I so I, I think I, I listened along on their YouTube channel. But he was saying that he doesn't think that they've necessarily lost eyeballs even as TV ratings decline because of all the other ways to see the product. And look, you may not have as many eyeballs specifically watching Monday Night Raw, but at the same time, you go in up until into the deep into the 90s, it was like, the only time to watch wrestling was Monday nights on cable TV and then your VHS tapes. And that was it. So if you liked wrestling, you had to watch Raw. If you liked WWE, you had to watch Raw. Getting into the late 90s, even into the 2000s, where you got DVD, if you liked wrestling, you've got to watch Raw. You've got to watch SmackDown. You know, SmackDown comes in and it's like, okay, like, let's say I need to get my WWE fill. Well, I did watch two hours of Raw, so I don't, need to, I don't know if I need to turn on SmackDown. 
you know. Raw moves to three hours. The years go on. YouTube comes. Every year that WWE gets older, the library of WWE grows. Then WCW gets added to that library. Then ECW gets added to that library. Strike that. Reverse it. Now, as we get into the end of the first decade of the 2000s, you've developed this major catalog. And YouTube is starting to, to rise up. It's starting to get much easier. And, and, and torrenting is starting to rise up. It's starting to get much easier to get access to this old stuff. Plus, you've still got Raw. You've still got SmackDown. you still got the syndicated shows. WWE has a cable on demand channel now, WWE 24-7. I loved that channel. I had a DVD recorder hooked up to my television set. And every show that would come on WWE 24-7, I would bootleg it so I could have it all on DVD. Old episodes of TV, Legends of Wrestling Roundtable, old pay-per-views. I'd be running DVDs. I literally, I mean, I was living in a one-bedroom apartment. And my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, she got access to the TV in the living room all she wanted because I hooked up my DVD recorder to my bedroom TV and I was just running wrestling bootlegs constantly. And not to sell them, not to bootleg them for other people, but just because I wanted a DVD binder with everything, everything. I had all my VHS tapes. Now I had the opportunity to get all this stuff on DVD. I still bought all the commercial DVDs, but you weren't gonna, it was very rare to get full episodes of old TV on DVD. I got that raw box set that they put out for, uh, I don't know, the 15th or the 25th anniversary, whatever it was, um, that had like 15, it must've been the 15th anniversary because I think it had the top 15 episodes of raw. It's like a 10 disc set or something like that. Love that DVD set. I would get all the special edition pay-per-view release and, and uh, box set releases that had like, like there was a special edition Eddie Guerrero DVD box set that had the Eddie Guerrero tribute episode of Raw. And then they made another one that had the tribute episode of SmackDown. So I had to make sure I got both box sets so I could have both of those shows on DVD. And I still have all of them, by the way, but I was just obsessed with having everything. But so, you know, DVDs keep coming out. 24-7 channel is out there. Now all of a sudden you've got all these hours right at your fingertips. Also, Raw moves to three hours. And you've got SmackDown. And you've got everything else. Now, let's go all the way and then the WWE Network comes out. WWE Network comes out and you don't just have a limited library of content, of content that gets refreshed every month like you do on the 24-7 channel. You have every WWE, WCW, and ECW pay-per-view of all time ever. You start getting uploaded full libraries of television. You have now every episode of Raw. You have every episode of SmackDown. You have, a, I mean, as the years go on, every ECW TV, tons of WCW TV, all the Nitros, documentaries, Sunday Night Heats, Saturday Nights, World Class, AW, I don't know if AWA is on there, Championship Wrestling from Florida, everything, territories, everything's on there. Everything. Then all these independent companies start putting out stuff. You've got Impact popping off over here. Impact's got their own network. You got Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor's got their own streaming service. You have the the independent wrestling uh, uh, streaming networks. You have the High Spot streaming network. New Japan starts getting popularized. You get New Japan World in the United States. You now have access. Then AEW pops up. NXT is on television now. 
just on television, you went from, okay, I got to watch Raw because I love wrestling to there's on just, just, just to keep up. Now impact. Now AEW has got this partnership with impact. So you got to watch impact to keep up. So now you got two hours of impact, two hours of AEW, three hours of raw, two hours of NXT, two hours of SmackDown. You have 11 hours of weekly new wrestling content, plus the WWE network, plus any independent wrestling you want to watch, plus new Japan, plus ring of honor. So it's like, When you talk about, and this isn't oversaturation. This isn't even a criticism. This is just like, you literally went from a time when if you wanted to watch wrestling, you had VHS dubs, and then you had Raw and Nitro going head-to-head, and that was pretty much what you had. I mean, you had to find ECW because it was like you were hungry for more wrestling content. Now, if you're still if you're hungry, if you're sitting there going like there's not enough wrestling on TV. You are a glutton, my friend. You are a glutton. So, you know, it, it so 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 Nick Khan on this conference call, the president of WWE says that he doesn't think they've necessarily lost eyes. It's just the eyes are shifting around. I mean, look, just the fact that Raw is 3 hours is like you go from I can't miss this show to I don't have three hours in the day. Also, you know, the fan base starts to age up and we stick around, except our lives change. I have a job. I have kids. I got to host. I got to somehow find time in the day to not only watch wrestling, but host a podcast. I, I, I hosting a wrestling podcast makes it so I can't possibly watch everything. I'm sitting there going like, oh my God, there's a documentary about the APA that I got to watch. You know? An hour and a half doc on Yoko that just came out. I mean, there's so much stuff hitting you all the time. There's a content tidal wave that is nonstop happening. And so, of course, you're not going to feel the need and you're not going to have, it's not going to be physically possible to watch everything. And it becomes more and more difficult to make something must-see television when there is so much television. So I think that that's the point, that you now have to look at a company like WWE and look at where they are as an overarching product. The visibility of WWE as a brand. The amount of views on the content as a whole. Like, the whole thing counts. This is why they've shifted their business to not just being a TV and pay-per-view company or a live events company, but being a full-fledged content company, you know? We'll, we'll put some TV shows on your network if you give us, you know, a few hundred million dollars. Hey, we got this streaming service if you want it for a couple of billion. You know? Okay, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do that. All right, well, we're still going to... And we'll put some stuff over here online. We'll put some stuff over there. I mean, I put out more Not Sam content in a week than WWE was putting out when their ratings were at an all-time high. But that's because it's just so easy to put content out now. The world has changed. The way people, people's expectations for content change, you know? If you're only putting out, if WWE is just like, yeah, I'm going to put out two hours of content, even AEW, they're a brand new company. And they're like, well, yeah, we're going to put out two hours of content a week, but... Also, we're going to put out a podcast. Also, I think we're going to get a new TV time slot. 
Also, we got this YouTube show that sometimes runs four and a half hours long. Four and a half hours long for this YouTube show of dark matches. Because it's like, I mean, that's, why not? Why wouldn't you? So, I, I, so, so it becomes much more difficult to judge in terms of popularity. You can't just look at one metric. You can't just sit there and look at the ratings and compare the ratings to what they were. You can't be a TV ratings company unless you're a TV ratings company. And I don't, WWE is not a TV ratings company. TV ratings are a big part of it. And you still have to put out compelling television. But the success of the WWE is not defined by TV ratings as some people wanted to do so during the era of the Monday Night War. I would argue that even during the Monday Night War, WWE's success was not defined by their TV ratings. They've always been a diversified business. You know, you have to look at the gate. You have to look at pay-per-view numbers. You have to look at merchandise sales. They're over here on the call going like, yeah, TV ratings are down, but this championship replica title sales are up 100%. And you're like, oh, okay. Well, you know, if nobody's watching this show anymore, who's buying all these championship belts? They're like $400 each. If nobody's watching wrestling anymore, who's getting all these belts? What do they need to hold up their pants? You can get cheaper belts. Plus, they're terrible at holding up pants. They're so heavy. So then you start thinking about what era you're in, right? And what is going on? And we've been having this conversation on the show a lot lately. The conversation about new kayfabe. The concept of new kayfabe, which we have coined here on Not Sam Wrestling. And this is going to catch on. And I mean, like every, I, those of you who are loyal to the show know how much stuff we're on to first, okay? I don't need to prove that. You guys know. But new kayfabe is the world that we're living in. You know, people think that because we're living in a space where Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman are in a rivalry, but they're on Instagram in a picture together, or, you know, everybody's wearing those Luke Harper t-shirts, or... People have their real name in their Twitter bio or, you know, a hundred other reasons. Wrestling fans have gotten so smart that kayfabe is dead. And I believe I had this conversation. I think it was Chris Van Vliet when he was on the show or I was on his show or something like that. I think that's where the conversation first came up where he was like, what, what do you think of kayfabe being dead? I was like, kayfabe's not dead because kayfabe is not dead. People think kayfabe is dead. Kayfabe, let me look up a definition for you of exactly how people define what kayfabe is. Because to me, kayfabe exists everywhere. Everywhere you look, you will find kayfabe. Kayfabe is people trying to keep up appearances. Kayfabe is people maintaining the expectation of their audience. There is so much kayfabe in politics. So much kayfabe in politics. You got to kayfabe so that you maintain your base in politics. On dramatic television. Uh, you know, I'm not going to tell you what happens with Thanos. We're going to kayfabe what goes on with Thanos. You're not going to tell the audience because if they know, they're not going to go see the movie anymore. Why? It's fake. You already know what's going to happen. That's not true. If you knew, first of all, if you didn't know what was going to happen in the Marvel Avengers movie, you might be brain dead. <laughs> if, if you didn't know 
that the Avengers were ultimately going to destroy Thanos. Spoiler alert. You need to make sure that you are not clinically brain dead. But even so, the same people that will go, why do you watch wrestling? When it's fake, you already know what's going to happen. I'm sitting there telling you, Avengers is fake. But if I spoil it for you, you'll be pissed. You won't go see it. But it's fake. You know what's going to happen. No, but I didn't know Captain America was going to be an old man at the end. All right. Okay, now we're talking. Maybe we can find some similar ground here. Maybe we can find some common ground and realize that you're out of your depth when we're having this conversation about wrestling because you need to be kayfabed in order to maintain an interest in these dumb superhero movies. There are people who won't buy a Final Fantasy game if the storyline is exposed for them. Why? It's a video game. It's fake. You already know what's going to happen. Nope. Got to be kayfabe. Otherwise, I don't want to be a part of it. Okay. All right. So we know what's going on. Kayfabe is the fact or convention of presenting stage performances as genuine or authentic. That's the traditional meaning of kayfabe. But the reality is kayfabe refers to presenting a reality to your audience that will make it so that they accept your product in the best way possible. It doesn't mean lying to them. Sometimes there is an uh, there can be an awareness of kayfabe that they are aware that they are being kayfabed. But that has that's essential, right? When you watch the ultimate kayfabe breakers of magic, because in my opinion, pro wrestling and the way it's presented, when it's presented well, it is very similar to professional magic, to a magician. If you go in and you know exactly how, you, you know, you know as an adult that magic is fake. You know that these are tricks. They're called magic tricks. You know that that man did not make that dollar with the exact same serial number of the one that you handed him just appear inside that grapefruit. But when he pulls it out and you don't know how he got it done, you're in awe. And you're going to tell your family to go buy a ticket the next time they're in this tourist trap town to go see this magician. Why? Because you willingly accepted the kayfabe because he was able to present to you a reality that while you know is not authentic, you don't 100% know how this person got there. Wrestling works the exact same way. When Penn and Teller, the ultimate breakers of kayfabe magic, when they did the show where they were trying to get magicians kayfabe us, trick us, and the magicians come on and they do their trick. When Penn and Teller don't get tricked, when they know how you do the trick, they don't go on television and expose it. They don't say, here's how you did it. They give a couple of key terms so the magician knows that Penn and Teller know how the magician did the trick. But the audience still doesn't know how the trick is done. Why? Because if the audience knows how the trick is done, they won't go see the show. 
but I don't understand. The audience knows it's a trick. What difference does it make? Because the audience wants to be kayfabe. The audience wants to be taken off into this reality. So while there is this relationship now with the audience, professional wrestling audience, where they know this is a show, you can't know that this is a show. You can't consciously be aware as it's happening. The show has to be good enough now where you are not consciously aware of what's happening in front of your face. And if you look at the best performers that are still performing today, they are still using kayfabe. Now, when we say kayfabe is dead, it's because we think about like, you know, Look at the Yokozuna documentary. This is a Samoan man. This is not a sumo wrestler. These are lies. These are falsehoods. But it's a show. However, in our minds, you know, people of my generation, people who are older than me probably look at kayfabe completely differently. But for my generation, and we look at the wrestling that we grew up with, we grew up with Yokozuna, and we grew up with those types of characters. You look at, at, at Regis and Kathy Lee. And when Yokozuna goes on Regis and Kathy Lee, he's still representing Japan. He's still got the robe on. He's still got his hair in a bun. He still looks like a, he's portraying himself as a sumo wrestler. When The Undertaker goes on Regis and Kathy Lee, he's in character, and he has to remain in character. Now, if that happened today, I mean, we won't even accept most characters on television. We, we You know, we'd be sitting there going like, Yokozuna? That's Roman Reigns' uncle. That's not a that's not a sumo wrestler. But if the portrayal is good enough, we'll accept it. I mean, let's say what is it, Kelly and Ryan now? The fiend could go on Kelly and Ryan. And what would you rather see? Would you rather see Wyndham Rotunda go on Kelly and Ryan and go like, well, I portray a character called the Fiend. He's uh we use camera tricks and a mask to make people think that I'm, tr or do you want to see children's television show host Weirdo Bray Wyatt, or even better, The Fiend himself appear on Kelly and Ryan? You want to see The Fiend show up because you're lost in the character because at no point do you see a separation. We don't see Wyndham Rotunda. We don't see him on Twitter. Even when you see like, a little bit of him on Instagram, you know, with his kid, you still, you don't see him doing interviews. You don't see, you know, Bray Wyatt's done interviews since this Fiend character has come out. Even when you go back to uh, Wyatt family Bray Wyatt, I did interviews with Wyatt family Bray Wyatt. And he never lost the character fully. He lost it enough that you felt like you were talking to a real person, but he didn't lose it all the way. And he made it so that the audience, no matter how smart they are at home, didn't quite know where Wyndham ended and Bray began or vice versa. We don't know Wyndham Rotunda. We know Bray. New kayfabe to me, however, is this version of understanding that we live in an era now where super wrestling fans will read everything. They'll read the internet. 
they'll know, quote unquote, what's going on. You know, these reports that, uh, I mean, new kayfabe is, is Nia Jax being called unsafe on the internet and then somebody working an injury angle. That would be an example of new kayfabe. New kayfabe is this, is this version where smart fans, quote unquote, are accepting realities presented to them. And wrestlers are, are, are using that. Wrestlers are, are, are really great superstars, are aware that fans now believe that they can determine the separation of that's real and that's fake. So the great superstars leave the realm of TV, leave the realm of fake, and go into the realm of real and bring their character with them without us even knowing, without fans even realizing it. The best characters on television are ones that you could take off of Raw and off of SmackDown and bring into a real conversation without feeling like, oh, he's doing wrestling shtick. I think level one of new kayfabe is Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns is such a good example of this. Many years ago, after, actually, I think the interview was done right before he won the Royal Rumble in 2015. And it's really interesting because if you watch the Batista documentary about the Royal Rumble 2014, you can hear the audience getting excited when they think Roman Reigns might win the Royal Rumble. Roman Reigns was very popular in 2014. The world changed for him in 2015. In Philadelphia, when he won that Royal Rumble in 2015 and everybody booed him, it was because they didn't believe the character that was in the ring that would evolve into suffering succotash Roman Reigns. The first big interview I did on this podcast, and when I say first big interview, I mean this was one of the first interviews that really put what was then Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, now not Sam Wrestling, on the map as a, as a big wrestling podcast, was with Roman Reigns. And he said something like, you know, whether they boo me or whether they cheer me, they're reacting to me, and it's putting me in a place where I can buy my family a new house. And the bluntness and the honesty of that literally led people to believe that because they knew that I was friendly to WWE at that time, there were people online that thought that Roman was being sent to my podcast to turn heel. If that had been the character he was portraying on television at the time, it would be a good example of new kayfabe, but it wasn't. Because that guy doing the interviews was the opposite of the guy we saw on television because the guy we saw on television wasn't Roman Reigns. The guy we saw on television was what Roman and other people thought Roman Reigns should be as a poster boy for WWE. But it was not the creation. It, I don't believe that it was Roman's creation. And I don't believe we were seeing Roman. We were seeing a character that Roman didn't believe. And so we didn't believe it. And so while there were some kids that were cheering for him, and some women maybe cheered for him, a lot of us older people, men and women, booed him. It didn't work because we didn't believe it. That Roman Reigns that we saw way back then, 
that he then, you know, went and did other interviews and the same problem arose. And when you'd watch him on TV, you would, you would, the vibe you would get was the same vibe you got listening to interviews with him. But the words that were coming out of his mouth were completely different than that vibe. And you were like, I just don't, I'm not connecting. Boo, boo, boo. When he comes back at SummerSlam and he starts doing promos and he starts talking to Paul Heyman, and you look at the disdain he has for Paul Heyman and you look at the way he describes himself as the top superstar in WWE. And you look at the way that he doesn't even pay attention to what's going on on Raw because he's not on that show. He's, he thinks nobody's watching Raw because he's not on that show. And you look at the way he describes the fact that he is the one that is feeding the families of everybody on the roster of SmackDown. And you believe that he believes that in real life because that's the vibe of the guy that you got on all those podcasts. And now when he goes and does podcasts, he doesn't have to cut wrestling promos. He doesn't have to sit there and go like, yeah, and you know, at Royal Rumble, I'm going to beat this guy and he's not going to know. He's got to sit there. He can speak calmly. He can be jovial. He can laugh with the interviewer. And he can still say that he thinks that he's the, the greatest. He thinks he's the best. He can still brag about his accomplishments. He can still talk about how good he is. Because I think he truly believes that. And he should, because he is. And now the character matches that. And so there is no separation. This thing where you're like, I saw him putting his costume on before Raw. I know how the trick is done. I saw the fake legs in the box where the lady gets cut in half before the lady got in the box. That's what was going on with Roman Reigns before. Now, that to me looks like Roman's feet in the box that you're cutting in half. There is no separation between Roman Reigns on screen and the Roman Reigns that we get elsewhere. We believe him. That's new kayfabe. Level two of new kayfabe is this idea that, like Ali, for example. Ali is the king of level two new kayfabe. Level two new kayfabe is when we get to a place where us smart fans, the ones that read everything and know everything about the business, us smart fans that can sit there and be like, well, this person's safe and this person's not safe, even though we've never been in a wrestling ring before. Us smart fans who know exactly which writer to blame, even though we've never met anybody who's on the writing staff. Us smart fans who can tell you exactly what's wrong and exactly what's right, even though we've never booked a territory in our lives. Us smart fans who don't know that we're being fed a storyline and we react as if we're not. That's level two, new kayfabe. When Ali advertises, I'm going to be on Raw Talk tonight, and then he goes on Raw Talk and he crushes the legends on Legends Night, this is what a waste of time it was and how people like him should be getting that treatment. People like him should be the ones on television. And his quote was so great. I give them credit for paving the road that we now walk, but when am I going to get to walk on it? 
When are any of us going to get to walk on it? You won't leave the road. It's already been paved. Number one, it's true. Number two, it doesn't sound like what the company wants you to hear, especially on Legends Night. And then he goes on Twitter and he says, quote, we don't know if we can trust you with a live mic again. Then you get to the dirt sheets. The dirt sheets are the ones that are supposed to be telling you here's what's really going on. And the headline reads, Ali has heat. Ali has heat backstage for what he said about the legends. Yet he continues to tweet when Hogan's on SmackDown. Oh my God, you gotta be kidding me. And then another article comes up on another dirt sheet. Uh Uh-oh, Ali's in big trouble. Ali might not re-sign with WWE because he's fed up with the way he's been treated. I read that article. What are you basing that on? Well, on Twitter, he said this. Well, wasn't that his character? Are you reporting that in canon, the Ali of Retribution character doesn't like that his character isn't on TV more? Or is it Ali the person who's portraying the character that was saying that? I don't know. When Welcome to New Kayfabe. I don't know. I just, because he said it on Twitter. Isn't Twitter real life? Because I saw some people put their real names under their Twitter handles. So I assume that Twitter is real life and wrestling is not. Okay, if you say so. So what happens if somebody manipulates that thought process? What happens if somebody takes this idea of, okay, over here, this wrestler has decided to put their real, their shoot name under their gimmick account and go like, okay, you know, this character that I portray on wrestling is a different thing. Okay, so now that's been established. So we've set the rules of Twitter, right? So what happens if somebody stays on character in Twitter? Who says that's the rules of Twitter? Because some other people did it? Everybody's got to do it now? I I don't know. I don't know. Welcome to New Kayfabe. You just got worked, brother. You jabroni marks, work yourself into a shoot. Good night, double H. <laughs> That's the, the joy of it. And you, and, you, and you have these after shows like Raw Talk where Ali just becomes a legend cutting these promos. And it's not dissimilar from CM Punk's pipe bomb. And it, and it started with the original Talking Smack show when The Miz went on and, and was talking about Daniel Bryan. And it, and it happened many times. The Miz and Daniel Bryan is just the most famous one. And it's like, is that a work? Is that a shoot? Yeah. What? What do you mean, yeah? Yeah. It means don't worry about it. It means if you're lost, if you're the type of person that watches going like, that's a work, it's wrestling, that's a work. Actually, that one might be a shoot. Good. Finally, we're there. Don't worry about trying to figure it out. It's not your responsibility. Now, we've finally gotten to the place where David Copperfield can make the Statue of Liberty disappear without you being like, the stage turned. Big deal. Well, no, the stage didn't turn. Well, then did the Statue of Liberty really disappear? I don't know. You tell me. I don't know. I can't tell you. All right. Well, then maybe you'll tune in next week to watch David Copperfield again. Maybe I will. Maybe I will. You know, when you when you talk about uh, uh, moments on after shows, I mean, the new version, the current version of Talking Smack is a beacon for new kayfabe. Oh, the current version of Talking Smack is the, is the greatest place because one of the kings, along with Ali and along with Roman Reigns, one of the kings of new kayfabe is Paul Heyman. And the way he confronts people on Talking Smack. First of all, 
the conversations that he has with people on Talking Smack, it's like it's the same issue that I had with the old Talking Smack, where the stuff that Daniel Bryan and Renee would do with talent on Talking Smack and the promos that talent would have the ability to cut on Talking Smack, it's like, why is nobody watching this? Not viewers, but inside WWE. You care more about the talent based on what they're doing on Talking Smack than anything that happens on the five hours of TV that you put on every week. You get 30 minutes to cut, a, and, and you're bringing some guy on for five, and he cuts a promo, or she cuts a promo, and more has been done for that character than in the five hours of television you've had to do for any character. It's incredible, but it's because we had a second to just let, let's just see what happens here. We cut out the net. And Paul Heyman is the king of it. Do Paul Heyman and Caleb Braxton get along? I don't know. Is Caleb Braxton really... Fa- I mean, Caleb Braxton is part of New Kayfabe. Is she really annoyed with Paul Heyman? I don't know. Seems like it. Maybe. That's the point, right? Paul Heyman is sitting there, right? And the way he talks to people... I mean, we've had people in the Discord room on the Patreon page going, is this scripted? And like, the level of wrestling fan that has to be a Patreon member, a not Sam Schill, it's like, you know how many hurdles you have to jump through? Like, you have to be such a wrestling fan. First, that you watch every week. Boom. That's already, that's already top of the heap. Then you also go on the internet. And look up wrestling stuff. Obviously, everyone's on the internet, but you look up wrestling stuff on the internet. You also listen to wrestling podcasts. You specifically listen to Sam Roberts' wrestling podcast. And you need extra Not Sam content. So you pay for the Patreon so you can get an additional Not Sam wrestling podcast every week and all the video content and everything. And then you get in the Discord room and you talk about it. That's like the highest A-level one wrestling fan who's as smart as smart can get. And you're going, is Talking Smack scripted or is that a shoot? Yes, exactly. And you know why? Because of the way Paul Heyman handles most of the people going on there. Now, when it's Kevin Owens or somebody like that, we know we're working towards a match specifically. But when it's Apollo Crews, Apollo Crews comes on Talking Smack and Paul Heyman's talking to him. And giving him advice. And it doesn't sound like Paul Heyman, the heel manager, he would kill me for calling him a manager, but in broad terms, Paul Heyman, the heel representative for Roman Reigns that we just saw on SmackDown. It sounds like Paul Heyman, the guy who's been in the wrestling business since the 1980s, that started as a photographer, that went through WCW and the Dangerous Alliance, that ran ECW, that's been a writer for WWE that was most recently the head in charge of Monday Night Raw several months ago that was trying to put guys like Apollo Crews over on that show. It sounds like that's the guy that's talking to Apollo Crews on Talking Smack, not the character that we see on SmackDown. And you're like, oh, okay, I get it. So this is a different Paul Heyman. And then the next week on SmackDown, Paul, Apollo Crews is in Paul Heyman's office. And the stuff that was just happening on this Talking Smack show that's not canon is canon. And you're like, oh, wait, is Talking Smack canon? Is this the character Paul Heyman? Or is this the real person Paul Heyman? Yup. I don't know what's going on anymore. What do you mean? 
I thought kayfabe was dead. I don't think so. When Bianca Belair, Paul Heyman does nothing but sing the praise of Bianca Belair on Talking Smack, and I think it's great. He looked at Bianca Belair. He dotes over Bianca Belair on Talking Smack. Dotes on her. We also know, if we're smart fans, that Paul Heyman brought Bianca Belair to Raw after WrestleMania. Paul Heyman was very high on the Street Profits, clearly, when he was running Raw, and very high on Bianca Belair for the short time that she was on television while he was running Raw. Paul Heyman being fond of Bianca Belair is not news to anybody who's a quote-unquote smart wrestling fan because we know what was going on when he was running Monday Night Raw. So when he goes on TV and he goes, this is your moment, Bianca Belair. You are in a league of your own. He said this this week on Talking Smack. He said, this is not a prediction. This is a spoiler. Whether you choose the Raw Women's Champion or the SmackDown Women's Champion, you are going to take your time. Pick whoever you want to pick whenever you want to pick them because you are going to leave WrestleMania as champion. And that's not a prediction. It's a spoiler. But at the same time, he called Edge a a schmuck. And you're like, oh, is that just real life Paul Heyman just putting some character Paul Heyman dust on this thing so we don't get too far removed from SmackDown? Or is this the character Paul Heyman who's a weasel worming his way into the heart of somebody who is clearly going to be a star so that once they achieve the levels that somebody like Roman Reigns does, he can go and represent them. Is the character Paul Heyman trying to warm up to Bianca Belair or is the real-life mentor Paul Heyman celebrating a talent who he believed in? I don't know. I don't know. I've been watching wrestling for 35 years. I don't know. That's the point. Because this is this is new kayfabe. We don't know what we're watching anymore. Work, shoot. I don't know what the difference is. There is no difference. It's all everything. Brother, look at Daniel Bryan. I mean, and everything that Big E has done on Talking Smack, the stuff that he does with Apollo, the stuff that he just talks about, I don't think I need to be worry about figuring out if I'm serious or not. The stuff that he was talking about with The Miz, the confrontation that Big E and The Miz had when Big E was trying to explain the differences and he was being real careful with his words, the difference, but we all, if we have brains, we know what he was saying and he was right. The differences between Kofi Kingston and The Miz, he wasn't talking about characters anymore. He was talking about real life. Or was he talking about characters? I don't know. I don't know. There's no separation. How about Daniel Bryan? You don't think Daniel Bryan knows that everybody is aware that his time is winding down? I mean, I hear the upper echelon of dirt sheet writers. I hear Dave Meltzer and Brian Alvarez sitting there going like, well, you know, maybe the reason that he's losing so much is because he's 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 winding down. Everybody knows he's getting ready to wind down. He's been talking about this. Yeah, he's been talking about this. And you don't think that Daniel Bryan knows whether it's true or not, he could be winding down. 
but he doesn't have to tell anybody that he's winding down. He doesn't have to publicly say he's winding down. The reason that the dirt sheet writers know that he's winding down is because he's been super public about it. He's talked about it on television. You don't think he knows that everybody knows he's winding down? You don't think he knows that everybody knows he's part of the creative team now? And that he's the one that's booking himself into these losses? You don't think he knows that everybody knows that? And the dirt sheet writers are going like, well, maybe he's winding down and that's why he's losing so much? Of course they know. Of course Brian knows. So when I look at this, I mean, in this world of new kayfabe, the losses that Daniel Bryan continues to get, and he lost again on SmackDown this week to Cesaro. The fact that he's losing to guys like Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura. I don't think it's just he's helping out people that he believes in. I don't think it's just Daniel Bryan is on his way out paying it forward to guys that need to have some victories. I think that Daniel Bryan is sitting there going, the losses are going to be part of a much bigger story. I think that the, the, the losses that we're seeing are going to tell this much bigger story. You know, I I I I think that 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 Daniel Bryan losing is not just Daniel Bryan losing. That eventually we'll get to this place where there is a payoff. And the reason that we think we know what's going on is because we've been led to believe that we know what's going on because Daniel Bryan has exposed this. But Daniel Bryan no Daniel Bryan believes in kayfabe. Daniel Bryan believes in not Exposing how tricks are done. I've interviewed Daniel Bryan, and he will take it to a certain point, and he will stop. And you go, well, I'm not going to tell you that, but I'll tell you this. There's a deliberateness to what a performer like Daniel Bryan will tell you. How about John Cena? John Cena, he says, uh, uh, he did an interview with Sports Illustrated asking about will he be at WrestleMania. John Cena says, Currently, I'm in Vancouver shooting Peacemaker, the series for HBO Max. Given the quarantine regulations, if I were to leave Canada, upon return, I would have to quarantine for another two weeks. This is true. We had a, we had a conversation with Skylar Aston on this podcast a few weeks ago who was in quarantine because he went home for Christmas. If I were to leave Canada upon return, I would have to quarantine for another two weeks. Essentially, that would shut down, that would shut production down. Strictly based on the letter of the law right now, there is no logistical way I can be there at WrestleMania 37. We film now until July. Straight up. I cannot be at WrestleMania 37 because I would shut down production because of the quarantine laws. That statement in and of itself means bupkis. It means absolutely zero. It is no difference than Ronda Rousey sending Instagrams from Columbia the night that she debuted at the Royal Rumble in Philadelphia. It is new kayfabe. You sit there and you don't go, I don't know if I'm going to be there, brother. It is, what does the audience know? The audience knows that John Cena left wrestling to be an actor. The audience knows he's going to be a part of this HBO show. The audience knows this HBO show is shooting. So whether he can leave the set or not, whether he can actually quarantine for two weeks or not, 
He's going to tell you that he's going to have to quarantine for two weeks. If somebody goes, is John Cena going to be at WrestleMania? And you go, no, he's definitely not going to be at WrestleMania because he's got to quarantine because of the law. He's filming this HBO show. Says who? John Cena told me. You just got worked, brother. Now, I'm not saying John Cena is definitely going to be at WrestleMania, but I'm saying by the laws of new kayfabe, you cannot sit there and say, okay, well, now we know. No, we don't know anything. That's what I'm saying. Just because a statement is released publicly does not mean you know anything because it's just a man saying a thing. I could say anything right now. Guess what, guys? There's going to be no Not Sam Wrestling for the next seven weeks. No podcasts. It's a lie. I'll be here next week. <laughs> but if I just put this statement out, people would be like, oh, what's going on with Sam? Guess what? Nothing. I just wanted to get you guys to talk. I still read articles of people thinking that I have heat with Montez Ford. It's ridiculous. But we live in an era where you you can put anything in print. It's easy to put anything in print because of social media and the internet. So anything can be in print. And people will believe what they want to believe if it's in print. So you could just say it. And if you say it off of TV, people will go like, oh, this is what he said, so this is what's true. And you could just do something else. That's the new kayfabe, and it happens all the time. Randy Orton does it on Twitter all the time. You think Randy Orton being critical of the NXT guys slapping their legs is because he doesn't like NXT, or do you think it's because he wanted to have a match with Tommaso Ciampa. I mean, now he's saying, forget it. I'll just say clearly what my intention is. I want a match with Karrion Cross. Randy Orton wants some NXT matches. And so he went on Twitter and he criticized NXT. And people were like, oh, he's shooting. He's shooting. No, he's not. Every single Matt Riddle heat is the best heat you can have online. Whether it's, whether it's Bobby Lashley not taking Riddle seriously on the internet whether it's Seth Rollins saying he doesn't like Matt Riddle on the internet, and it doesn't mean it's not true. It just means the new kayfabe is that Seth Rollins saying, I have no interest in working with Matt Riddle, and Matt Riddle being a, a known heat magnet, whether it's Brock Lesnar or Goldberg or Booker T or any of these guys, we believe it. And then when Seth Rollins and Matt Riddle have a confrontation in the Royal Rumble, we're like, okay, the re all the rest of the stuff that happened in this match was wrestling, but this is real now. Boom, you just got worked by the new kayfabe. That's it. That's it. Brock Lesnar does it on the daily. He's been doing it for years. Brock Lesnar, we believe for some reason. Ronda Rousey started doing it too, leading up to WrestleMania. She just started calling, I, I'm going to beat you guys in a fake wrestling match. Oh, geez. Doesn't Ronda Rousey have any respect for this business? She's a giant fan of the business. She just wanted you to boo her, and you did. And it worked. That's the new kayfabe, man. That's the new kayfabe. What's not the new kayfabe is Hulk Hogan's promo on SmackDown. <laughs> that wasn't the new kayfabe at all. 33 years ago, brother, I slammed that big Andre the Giant. And now I'm looking at Edge, brother, and he's got to make his choice. And I'm like, Terry, we know. What are you doing? Who are you working, Terry? Who are you working here? Who is this working on? Everybody that grew up with Hulk Hogan, I mean, you've done everything you can 
to make people aware of Terry. There, if you're coming out, if you're in a live arena, then yes, by all means, play the music, tear off the shirt, wear the boas, do that whole thing. But if you're coming to us on Skype, you're just cutting a promo from your restaurant. Bro, we're seeing Terry on that screen. You know, that's the new kayfabe. Okay. But speaking of Hogan, there was a, a lot of controversy coming off of the Ultimate Royal Rumble show, and I can't believe that I'm still getting this. Now, I need to clear this up. This is going to be the final statement on this, the final statement on the matter, because we're only a couple weeks away. We're going to be doing an Ultimate Elimination Chamber show on the WWE Network and across uh, WWE's social media platforms. So we've got to just put the nail in this coffin, okay? I was still getting tweets this weekend. Bro, why don't you put Hulk Hogan in the Ultimate Royal Rumble, bro? What, are you not allowed? What Am I not allowed to? I mentioned CM Punk. I'm not allowed to mention Hulk Hogan on the WWE Network. This is, this is the level of brain that we're dealing with, okay? There is the conspiracy theory that we didn't put Hulk Hogan in the Ultimate Royal Rumble because it was too controversial. Meanwhile, if you look at what was on the WWE Network. At 2 p.m., the Ultimate Royal Rumble show went up on Sunday of the Royal Rumble. At 11 a.m., three hours before the Ultimate Royal Rumble, the bump went up, and Hulk Hogan was a guest on the bump. Hulk Hogan was literally, he was a guest on the bump hours before the Ultimate Royal Rumble went up. He was on SmackDown. He was at Raw Legends Night. Why would I not be allowed? Why would Matt Camp, why would Evan T. Mack not be allowed to mention Hulk Hogan? I can't speak for either of the other two guys as to why Hulk Hogan didn't make their list, but I'll tell you why Hulk Hogan was not on my list for the Ultimate Royal Rumble and why I would have argued. The same way, by the way, I didn't put Randy Savage in the Ultimate Royal Rumble match. That one I could have argued for. If somebody had added Randy Savage, I wouldn't have argued hard to get him out. But there was no Randy Savage. There was no Ultimate Warrior. There was no Andre the Giant. I argued against The Rock. I argued that The Rock should absolutely not be in the Ultimate Royal Rumble match because The Rock is ultimately not a Royal Rumble wrestler. He did win, technically, the Royal Rumble in the year 2000, but that was not a good Royal Rumble match, except for the Takamichi Noku elimination. And... There was controversy. Technically, the Big Show won that match. So, I I I don't consider the the Rock had a lot of great accomplishments. If we're putting together an Ultimate WrestleMania card, Rock's on there, Hogan's on there, Savage's on there, Warriors on there. Can't get around that. But the Ultimate Royal Rumble match is about performance in the Rumble itself, and 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 that's why like Santino, that was one criticism. Santino is in, but Hogan's not. Santino provides something different. You need to have a comedy spot in the Royal Rumble. You must. To make it a good Royal Rumble match, there has to be a comedy spot. There is Santino. Kofi's in it, but not Hulk Hogan. There has to be a Kofi spot in the Rumble. There has to be a Kane spot in the Rumble. These things have to exist for the Rumble to be ultimate, which is what we were trying to build. You put people in that Rumble, they said, that haven't even participated in a Rumble, what are you talking about? Well, I thought I made it very clear 
what I was talking about when I put it together. Specifically, you're talking about Bull Nakano and Alundra Blaze. And the reason that they went in is because this was a Royal Rumble match that would feature both male and female talent. Those are the rules that were established from the beginning. I felt it unfair to certain female performers. I'm like, I'm not in, but Bertha Faye in there, okay? But Bull Nakano and Alundra Blaze, if the women had a Royal Rumble match, Trish was in there too. And again, Trish has been in a Rumble match, but as a legend, okay? I would have put Lita was on my list because what I'm looking at is the era that there was a Royal Rumble. I wouldn't have put women from yesteryear in for the same reason I didn't put men from yesteryear in because there was no Royal Rumble, so it wouldn't have made any sense. But had more women had the opportunity to have been in the Royal Rumble, Alundra Blaze would have been, in my opinion, a devastating performer. Bull Nakano would have been a devastating performer. Imagine if we had had Bull Nakano win the Royal Rumble on the way to WrestleMania 10 to face Alundra Blaze. It would have been incredible. Incredible. But alas, the women didn't have a Royal Rumble match. I didn't go crazy with that, but Alundra Blaze and Bull Nakano, I think that that era of women's wrestling in the WWE was unique and very evolved for what they were. So I think they deserved spots. Now you're saying, okay, fine. But Hulk Hogan, one, was the first person to win two Royal Rumbles in a row and held the uh, 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 record for most eliminations. All true. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who won the first Royal Rumble, was not, in 1988, was not in the Ultimate Royal Rumble. Big John Studd, who won in 1989, was not in the Royal Rumble. Hulk Hogan, 90 and 91, not in the Rumble. Like I said, the Warrior was a big part of Royal Rumble 90. Not in the Rumble. Would you like to know why? Because the Royal Rumble, and, I, and I'm going to have to make this very clear. I should have made this more clear on the show. The Royal Rumble as an entity did not evolve into what we know it as until 1992. In 1988, it was a television special. So there's no way you can talk to me about Royal Rumble 1988 being in consideration. It was not the same match. And let's be honest, in 1990 and 1991, it was just another opportunity to make Hulk Hogan look like a million bucks. There were no stakes. And you'd go, well, technically 1991 was the first time that the winner of the Royal Rumble went to WrestleMania to face the champions. So, but it wasn't a stipulation of the match. Go back and watch that match. You're not sitting there going like, oh, maybe Saba Simba is going to win the 1991 Royal Rumble and he'll get to go to WrestleMania to face Sergeant Slaughter. It was not a stipulation of the match. It was not a reward for winning the match. It was just, well, Hulk Hogan won the Royal Rumble, and so we've decided he will be the number one contender to face Sergeant Slaughter. It wasn't whoever wins the Royal Rumble goes to WrestleMania. We weren't sitting there going, oh, my God. What, anybody, like, if, 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 if Greg the Hammer Valentine wins this Royal Rumble match, all of a sudden he's a main eventer. That's the magic of the Royal Rumble. The magic of the Royal Rumble is that it can change history. And in 1991, it couldn't. And in 1990, it couldn't. In 1989, it couldn't. In 1988, it couldn't. 
So there is no, for me, conversation about where the ultimate Royal Rumble begins. Because it's 1992. Even in 1992, technically, the winner didn't go to WrestleMania, theoretically. But the winner became the WWE champion. So in 1992, Hulk Hogan loses the title of The Undertaker at Survivor Series 1991. Chicanery. Six days later at Tuesday in Texas, Hulk Hogan wins the title back from The Undertaker. Chicanery. Jack Tunney has no choice but to hold the title up. Hulk Hogan participates in, I believe, his only Royal Rumble that would make him even eligible in my eyes to be a part of the ultimate Royal Rumble, the 1992 Royal Rumble, because Jack Tunney decides that the vacated WWE championship will be awarded to the winner of the 1992 Royal Rumble. Hogan, ego that he has, thinks that he's going to win this Royal Rumble. It's down to the final three, Sid Justice, Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan. Hogan eliminates Sid. Sid can't believe it. Then he goes to shake Hogan's hand. Hogan reaches down. Oh, no, it was the reverse. Sid eliminates Hogan. Hogan can't believe it. Sid goes, I'm sorry, man. He goes down to shake Hogan's hand. Hogan shakes his hand. Hogan starts pulling, throwing a temper tantrum. Sid's like, what? Flair comes over, eliminates Sid. Ric Flair becomes the WWE champion. Now, there's a big difference between who wins the Royal Rumble in 1991 will be bragging rights. Who wins the Royal Rumble in 1992 will be the WWE champion. That means, as a fan, any of these 30 men could become WWE champion tonight. That's huge. Now you're really watching because the berserker might leave with the WWE championship. When are you ever going to watch a pay-per-view that could potentially end with the berserker being the WWE champion? Only one pay-per-view, Royal Rumble 1992. So 92 is where it's, I mean, in 91, if berserker were in it, it'd be like berserker might win the Royal Rumble. Oh, what does that mean? I, I just told you berserker might win the Royal Rumble. It means what it means. It's not the same. 93 is when they announce the winner of the Royal Rumble gets to go to WrestleMania and face Bret the Hitman Hart for the WWE Championship. And that's when Yokozuna wins. And this guy who had been in the company for two months becomes the number one contender for the WWE Championship. Three months, maybe. That's incredible. That's an incredible story. But that doesn't happen without the Royal Rumble. Theoretically. So that's why 93 it starts. 94, 95, 96. Every rumble after that is either you're going to WrestleMania or you're winning the WWE Championship. That's when the rumble gets exciting. It's cool to watch the rumble and go like, I wonder who's going to win. I wonder who's going to come out next. But rumble doesn't really become the rumble. Like somebody even said, Hogan's the one, Hogan winning put Rumble on the map. That's not true. What put the Rumble on the map was the championship being on the line and then the WrestleMania main event being on the line. That's the excitement that you're watching with. Not Because if it's just somebody's going to win the Royal Rumble, it's interesting, but you're not losing your mind. 
The reason you lose your mind at the end is because you go, oh my God, like this is where we're going all the way. We're going all the way to WrestleMania with this. So if you don't have that, if you don't have WrestleMania implications at the Royal Rumble, you don't have a Royal Rumble. And so I don't count pre-1992 Royal Rumbles in consideration when I'm putting together the Ultimate Royal Rumble match. Will I watch those Royal Rumbles? Yeah. Are they fun matches? Yeah. But when you talk about like putting together the greatest Royal Rumble in history that you could possibly imagine, you better be going to WrestleMania at the end of that because if it's just like, yeah, this guy won and it just you just won for the sake of winning. I don't care. I don't care. You don't even become king of the ring. It's the Royal Rumble, and you don't even become king of the ring, you know? So that's why Hulk Hogan wasn't in the Royal Rumble match because he wasn't in almost any of the important Rumbles. Only 92, and he didn't win any of the important ones, that's for sure. Speaking of Rumbles, if you want to have a panic attack, the day of Royal Rumble 2014 with Batista, when he returns, and you see the nerves in that guy, it made me feel better. I'm a wreck before I go live for WWE shows. And seeing that Batista was a wreck too before returning at the 2014 Royal Rumble really made me feel better about everything. Um, I do want to take a second to give a big shout out. I hope you guys have been following along. Uh, Gabby Tuft, the former Tyler Rex in WWE. Uh, I really hadn't been following this journey. Uh, I saw, though, that Percy Watson posted a thing on his Instagram page uh, congratulating Gabby, who I had been aware of as Gabe Tuft, the real name of Tyler Rex in WWE. Tyler Rex, who was like, you know, Super badass competitor, a big, strong superstar with a big beard and the dreadlocks and everything. And I go to uh, her Instagram page, and she has transitioned uh, into, and she's Gabby Tough. She's transitioned uh, male to female and just appears to be so happy, has so much support around her, like seeing her wife support this and, and seeing her family and her friends and her former coworkers support this. And then also watching this extremely difficult journey be made public by her. Like all I could think about was how many people are going to be helped by watching Gabby make this journey. And, and, and she's got this great video up where she explains how this all started and how she realized and and what made her go like I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to do this. This is who I am. This is what I need to do to feel like me and to really be happy. I don't want to live in this body that I don't relate to. I think it's going to help so many people because I think there are a lot of people that feel that way but that don't act on it because it's a terrifying thing. It's a terrifying thing to do to realize that everybody around you that you love, you're afraid that they're not going to accept you. You're, they're afraid you're gonna they're gonna cast you out, or worse, or worse. You see the terrible things that happens to to people in the trans community. Just just horrible things from people who don't just accept who people are and what they do to make themselves 
happy and just to feel like human beings, the things that we take for granted, just getting to wake up in the morning and feeling like ourselves. Like, can you imagine? Can you imagine waking up in the morning and not feeling like your body was your own? It's horrifying. And the idea that in order to make your body feel like it's your own, you have to risk giving up everything? That shouldn't be something that people have to live through, but it is something that people have to live through. So I think the fact that Gabby is being so public about this journey that she's on is, is bringing an issue to light for so many people. And I think there's going to be a lot of, of fans and just a lot of people in general that are going to see this and go like, yeah, you know what? The, it's, 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 it's worth doing what you have to do to be happy, to live your life, to be who you are. I just think it's great. So round of applause for, for Gabby Tuft. I think she's, it's amazing what she's doing. It really, really is. Um, on Raw tonight, it's been announced we're going to get uh, Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton non-title match. So, you know, I'm assuming Alexa Bliss is going to come out and drool blood or set something on fire or something like that. Maybe it'll lead to a Drew McIntyre fiend match at a, at a pay-per-view. I don't know. I think it's got to lead somewhere, though. we got to go somewhere. And uh, Lacey and Charlotte are going to have a confrontation. I'm not feeling that enthused about either of those two things, to tell you the truth. But hopefully something cool will happen. Um, uh, something cool did happen on Raw. Uh, I think the, first of all, I really enjoyed Edge being on tour last week. I thought, uh, I talked about it a lot on the Patreon podcast that came out on uh, Friday. If you go to patreon.com slash notsamwrestling, you can sign up for the base level less than a dollar a week, and you'll get access to the uh, uh, bonus podcast that we do every Thursday. Um, you'll get the audio of that. You know, every everybody who's on Patreon gets that, uh, as well as this show, ad-free and early. Um, so check that out, and I talked a lot about it there. But I, I loved the interaction. I love that the interactions were different. I love the interaction with Drew, that it was kind of like, the older, the elder statesman going like, what are you doing, man? Like, you should be trying to stop me here. The interaction with, with Finn Balor and, and Pete Dunne going like, you guys are going to tear this house down. And, and talking about NXT like it was the coolest thing in wrestling. And the interaction on SmackDown where you had him and Roman with Roman being unimpressed and, and, and a real lack of respect for Edge. And, and really, Roman feeling like it's beneath him that Edge would be able to make this call. He's still the number one guy. And then having KO come out, I thought it was great. I thought, I, I'm just such a fan of what Edge is doing right now. Edge is Edge is amazing. Like, if, if you are, are stuck on this idea that Edge, first of all, we were robbed of the last 10 years of Edge's career. When Edge retired, it's not like we were sitting there going like, this guy needs to hang up the boots already. We were all ready for a lot more Edge. We were robbed of Edge. So the fact that we got him back now is not an old-timer coming back to cash in. The fact that we get him back now is he's making up for, for lost time. And promos alone, he's working at an all-time level. And the matches that he's had have been great. So don't come at me with any sort of any disrespect about Edge. Love me some Edge. Uh, and I think, the, I think the stuff they were doing on Raw with Bad Bunny was honest, honestly... 
That's some of the most right stuff that they're doing. Bad Bunny is about as relevant as you can get in the world of popular music, especially with Latin audiences, but way beyond Latin audiences, with young audiences. Like, Bad Bunny is enormous. Enormous. I don't love that he did a crossbody on Miz and Morrison, but I can get, I, I can, I can deal with that. I love that he came on and he said he clearly is a WWE fan. He clearly thinks that WWE is amazing. And he sat there and he made Damian Priest look like an even bigger star. I think Damian Priest's debut on Raw coming off of the Royal Rumble was as good, if not better, than any NXT call-up has been in a long time. And I love that he's in this other thing right now with Bad Bunny and The Miz over here. He's not hot-shotted right away to a title match that you can't possibly, you can't possibly live up to, where it's like, okay, he's going to shoot to the top and then go back down and have to work his way back up. No, no. I think uh, I think the world of Damian Priest as well. I love the edge handshake with Damian Priest, and I thought I thought him on Raw was fantastic. And I'm 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 looking forward to this Parker uh, Bordeaux character too. This uh, U US, UCF uh, offensive guard, 315 pounds. He can still dunk a basketball. He looks like a young Brock Lesnar, but he's all tatted up. Rumored to be coming to the WWE soon. He looks looks like he could be a difference maker. And I think that's amazing. And I'd also like to say rest in peace to the Hacksaw Butch Reed. One of the most underrated tag teams of the late 80s and early 90s is Doom. Ron Simmons and Butch Reed were one of the coolest things in WCW at the time. Doom, Butch Reed, Ron Simmons, managed by Teddy Long. I've always thought they were underrated as a team. They should be on that list of amazing teams. I would love to see WWE do a documentary on Doom because they were just Amazing. And Butch Reed had an amazing career before that. But that, as a kid, that's where I really remember Butch Reed from. It was one of the few acts in WCW that made me go, what's going on over there? Also, I love that his WCW Galoob action figure is in workout pants. Because when Ron Simmons and Butch Reed sent the reference shots to Galoob, like they, they had all the WCW guys take reference shots so that Galoob could just like kind of get their likeness right. And... Butch Reed and Ron Simmons were both wearing workout pants. So when they released the Butch Reed and Ron Simmons figures, Butch Reed is literally wearing Zubas. He's not wearing his tights. And like you'd sit there and you're like, what? He's wearing purple Zubas in his Galoob action figure. It's the only Butch Reed figure. They also made a bendum of it. There's two Butch Reed figures actually Galoob made. One is a is a Galoob figure and the other is a bendum. And they're both wearing Zubas. Because in the reference shot that he sent over, he's wearing Zubas. And they didn't think to, like, look at any other photos of Butch Reed to see what he actually wears in the ring. He's just got Zubas and sneakers on. And, like, Ron Simmons has on, like, Adidas jogging pants and sneakers. It's the funniest It's the funniest thing ever. They're probably the funniest figures ever. But at least we got a Butch Reed toy, right? It's one of my favorite figures. Because, like, as a kid, I, like, it took years to find it. As a kid, I was like, it's a really cool figure. Like, I, it was one of the Galoob figures that came over to my Hasbro figure fed because he was ju- he was in the perfect stance to do, like, a power slam. He looked badass. And also, I didn't have any Hasbros that were wearing Zubas. But I remember, like, I'd watch him on WCW, and I'm like, this is not what he wrestles in. Why does this figure look like this? And it wasn't until years later 
that I found out it's because Galoob got one reference photo. You know, like one photo set that was taken on the same day of every figure in, in the series. Like, that's why Ric Flair is like, his hands are out like this, because in the reference shot, his hands are out like this. I know I'm saying like this, even though most of you are not on Patreon watching this podcast, you're listening to it. But regardless, yeah. Because the one photo that Galoob used to design this figure, he was in Zubas. It's just, it's the funniest thing ever. I love it. I love it. So rest in peace to Butch Reed. Also, find that Galoob figure because it's the funniest thing you'll ever see in your life. I appreciate all you for hanging out. This has been a fun podcast. I hope we got to the bottom of some things. I hope you're feeling more comfortable with everything. I uh, hope you had a happy weekend. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week. If you got tweet me at not Sam, by the way, or hit me up, not Sam wrestling at gmail.com. I feel like we covered a lot of ground today. Not Sam wrestling at gmail.com. I kind of uh, wish that I had plugged that email uh, earlier in the show, but if you have any better examples of uh new kayfabe or you want to argue with me about the 1991 Royal Rumble not being important at all. Neither is the 1990 at all. I mean, look, the 1990 Royal Rumble sets up Hogan and Warrior. I understand that. But it's like, it's a storytelling device. It's not a stipulation match. So, doesn't matter. But, if you'd like to argue it, hit me up, notsamwrestling at gmail.com. And we'll see you next week, everybody. Thank you. Unless you're on Patreon. Then I'll see you on Thursday. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.